Romans chapter 5, I'll read these first five verses. Starting with verse 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, that's how you know a real person wrote it. And not only that, you and I might write something like that, right? And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Oh, we love them, don't we? We glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. A lot in that five verses, isn't there? A lot of actually, you could do a deep study on any one of these verses. But let's open up and begin in prayer. Father, we just ask for your Holy Spirit, the same given to us as Paul writes up here, Lord, to now, as you've already been ministering to us in worship, Lord, that you would now minister to us through your word, opening our eyes, opening our ears, softening our hearts, Lord, washing us and cleansing us from the day that we've walked through. Lord, even now we ask that you'd wash our feet, that we'd be completely clean by the washing of your word, that which we even were reminded of on Sunday, Lord, where you washed the priesthood right there at the entrance to the tabernacle. Lord, we pray that you would do the same. You'd wash us even now. And Lord, we pray that you would teach and instruct each and every person, Lord, but not that we would just hear an instruction, Lord, but that we would walk in these things and stand in them, even as the text says. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, last, uh, we finished chapter 4. I had titled that Faith of Our Fathers, and, you know, Paul had gone back primarily to the life of Abraham, although he also uh, quotes from David as well. And we see that Paul was setting, uh, setting the foundation of the fact that salvation is never, has never, will never be related to we have worked or earned salvation. Uh, not by something we've done, just what we have believed in. Right? So Abraham believed God. He believed upon, believed upon uh, the Lord. He believed the Word of God. And it was accounted unto him, uh, unto him as righteousness. Now we know that genuine belief uh, will then have evidence. You know, James talks about this: faith without works is dead faith. And Abraham, of course, went on to have works that we all look at. Of course, Hebrews chapter eleven highlights some of those things in his life. But but it was the initial faith in believing, just as your own salvation. You believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You called upon him, uh, saying, Lord, please save me, O wretch that I am, right? We we sing that song, uh, Saved a Wretch Like Me, the the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. So we we didn't at that time, any more than the thief on the cross, we we hadn't brought any works to the table at the point of salvation, correct? 
The thief on the cross had accomplished nothing. You and I had accomplished nothing. Abraham accomplished nothing. But genuine faith, genuine saving faith, then produces a life of faith. You know, many fall away and are not in the faith. But those that cried out, you know, beating upon their breast, as it were, as Jesus talks about the publican and the sinner, you know, be merciful to me. And when God extends that mercy, uh, then he grants us salvation. He gives us the Holy Spirit, which is mentioned here uh, in, first, uh, in chapter 5 as well. So that's what we looked at in the fourth chapter. And we look back in the third chapter about uh, uh, the condition we find ourselves in. Of course, it's in chapter 4 as well uh, that we are dead in sin or we're guilty and we need, uh, we need a Savior. We need someone to come to our defense uh, because certainly our works would never be enough. Salvation through faith only. But now here in the fifth chapter, Paul takes that faith, if you will, that, that we've been given salvation with, and then he begins to show what that same faith, that saving faith, implanted in our hearts by the Lord Jesus, what it now does in the outworking in our life. Or what it should do if we understand and believe what God has said. Because a lot of these things, when you, when you first read them, a lot of times you may not, based on your feelings, feelings are really, really uh, often completely opposite of faith. Sometimes your feelings can match faith. They can actually be together, right? I'll give you an example. You just were singing in worship. Now, if, if you believe and that the song we're singing, holy, holy, holy. You're believing that the song says, holy, holy, holy. You're not believing it because the song says it. You're believing it because you've actually read it in the Word of God. Therefore, you believe God's holy. Number two, then you, you've come to the realization, whether I taught it or you read it yourself or you heard someone else teach from the Scriptures, you've come to the realization that because God is holy, similar to the cherubim that are actually faced prostrate, if you will, covered up in a prostrate position, worshiping because you believe what you've read. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You've seen it in the Bible that it says God is holy. You know that the response to anyone that's ever come into the presence of the glorified Lord or into His holy presence, they fall prostrate before Him, right? So you, not feeling like worshiping, just start worshiping because you believe that God has commanded that kind of response. Now, sometimes you've had maybe a great day and the trees have looked so beautiful and everything went perfect and you realize that God's holiness and you actually feel like worshiping. In that case, your feelings line up with your faith. In the other case, your feelings don't line up with your faith, but the faith is right whether the feelings feel that way or not, correct? There's lots of times where we feel like worshiping, and we enjoy that. Then there's the time where we don't feel like worshiping, and then it's an act of true, like deep down faith, because it's obedience. It's just saying, Lord, you are holy, so I will worship you, though I don't really feel it. Now, he'll actually then, the longer you walk in that obedience, he'll bring the feelings back to the right place. But this is what Paul is underlining or outlining in these five verses, 
Therefore, starting in verse 1, if you're taking notes, uh, we'll call our time in God's Word tonight, Flourishing Faith. Last week was, last, we had a two-part series, if you will, in uh, chapter 4, but Faith of Our Fathers, but tonight our study, Flourishing Faith, and if you're taking notes, we'll look at three things, peace, access, and hope. Peace, access, and hope. Starting with uh, the first verse here, therefore, having been justified by faith, justified, right? But God says, it's as if you are not a sinner because I have placed the blood of my son over you, so I don't see what you deserve. My son stands between you and me, and you're justified as if you had done, as if you had lived this per- perfect sinless life of Christ, which we certainly have not, but his righteousness is credited to us. Again, we're going back in our, our previous study, but Paul reemphasizes, therefore, therefore, it's often said whenever you see a therefore, understand why it's therefore. Therefore, having been justified by faith, because you're saved not by works, that's what he's saying, he's referring back to the fourth chapter, because you're not saved by works, but justified or given salvation or given the righteousness of Christ by faith, we have peace with God. Not, you can get, if he's speaking to those that are already justified, those that are justified actually have peace with God. Before you and I were saved, according to Colossians 1.21 and many other passages, uh, we were enemies of God. We were at war with our God. Paul, uh, Paul speaks about it, enemies of our minds and wicked works, uh, that we were actually at war with God. Now, some people uh, are very consciously at war with God. Throughout history, we've seen people that have shaken their fist at God, that have said, you know, uh, you know the, uh, China, uh, the communist Chinese, uh, Mao Zedong, you know, he was determined to rid China of God. I was just watching last night a, a little, um, just watching uh, Ravi Zacharias, he spoke at Princeton University last Thursday night, why I'm not an atheist. Uh, and if you've not heard Ravi speak, uh, he's tremendous speaker, apologetics. Uh, it's great to see him speak at an Ivy League school and to hear the questions that these brilliant kids spent all night thinking of to try and uh, trip him up. But, uh, uh, and then him handle them with grace and ease, which is even more uh, you know, something that we all can learn from. But you know, watching him, he was talking about uh, you know, the fact that even though the communist Chinese did try and drive God out, uh, it's arguable China and Iran, the other country right now in our lifetime that is trying to drive God, they're not the only one, but they're one of the prominent ones. Uh, Voice of the Martyrs claims that Iran is now the fastest growing church. Uh, and Ravi, and there's others that would say China's the fastest growing church. Doesn't matter in both cases, Iran and China, God is trying to be pushed out, right? So there you have people that fundamentally say, we are the enemies of God. But God says everyone before salvation is actually the enemy of God. Even the person that is very, very, uh, as best they know, a good person, a good citizen. They don't, they don't 
as far as they know, they've never killed anybody. They've never really defrauded anybody. They don't steal. They work hard. Uh, they bring home a paycheck, take care of their families. And yet, if they've never received Jesus Christ, they are in a war, enemies with God. But those of us who've been saved, we now have peace with God. So the first thing that Paul's saying here uh, is not, he's, he's not speaking, although we're going to get to that in just a second, he's not speaking of that peace that comes from God in this verse, not in, not in verse 1. Uh, he's not speaking of that peace that comes from God. He's saying we have peace with God, that the wall that was there has come down You've seen that picture of the cross that actually crosses over that valley, right? In other words, it would have been this high wall that God is at war. He's in a fortress that you could never get into, and he could actually annihilate you from the fortress anytime he wants. But instead, he lets the drawbridge down, and in we've walked, not just walked in, but walked in as family, not, no longer at war with God. We have peace with God. Through who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one that walks us through the door. He's the one that says, Father, I know that last week, this is me in 1995, last week uh, Tim was on your enemy list to be destroyed because the judgment, you know, in other words, John chapter 3, we're condemned already, remember? We're already condemned. He was on the condemnation list, but he actually cried out to me, and I've adopted him, God says, total peace, bring him on in, total peace with the Lord. So this is what Paul is expressing, we're no longer the enemies of God. Now, that's where it starts, but we will get more than just not being at war with God, we'll get more than just him no longer having us uh, as his enemy, but he really will bestow upon us his peace. Not only do we have peace with him, but he actually bestows his peace. Ephesians 6.23 says, Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The peace comes from who? From God through Jesus. The same way that salvation came from God through Jesus, the peace comes from the Father, through Jesus. Now, one of Jesus' names, you know it. It's Prince of Peace. He, he is the one that holds the spigot to the Father's peace. Those who receive him, he turns it on full blast. He gives us his peace. Now, Jesus made this clear himself in John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus also said in John 16, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Everybody agree with that? Has anyone had a perfect life here? Anyone had a perfect week yet? Anyone had a perfect day today? Some of you may have. Enjoy them because they're rather few and far between, aren't they? Things don't usually go perfect. They can be really insignificant things, or they can be uh, things that really, really are taxing and heavy. But be of good cheer. 
I have overcome the world. Overcome the world. So we not only have peace with God, but we actually do get that peace from God. This peace is 100% assured and given to the sons and daughters of God. It's 100% assured. That doesn't mean that we remember we have it. Right? It doesn't mean we remember we have it. It could kind of be something like this. Every now and then, you know, my wife, my wife will say, hey, do you have any cash? Because usually the answer is no from both of us. We have this thing called check cards that I'm sure you use a lot of too. Right? But... On rare occasions, when I decide to take out cash, I will actually be thinking ahead to take cash out. Sometimes I'll actually put some in her wallet. So she might would be somewhere and say, man, I wish I had cash. The fact is it may be in there, but has no idea that it's there. The same way it is, God actually gives us his peace whether you know it's there or not. Because you would say, well, that's weird. If, I, if it was there, I would know it's there. Not guaranteed. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God and knowing the Word of God. You don't have peace because you feel peace. You have peace because God says you have it. That's hard for people to understand. They do not like that answer. I don't like that answer a lot of times. Do you? Because that doesn't seem, that goes against the grain of what we, how our brains work. We think peace has to be felt to be there. And God says, no, you already have it. I put it in your wallet, a million dollars worth. Open up and look. And God says, it's there. Well, I don't feel it. Well, that's because you don't know where your wallet is. Right? There's something along those lines. You know, we, we just, it, it's God is telling us, look, I've already given it to you. Walk in it. I don't want to walk in it. I want you to feel I just want to feel it. And God says, no, you will feel it when you walk in it. Doesn't Paul's like, you have peace with God. You have it. Philippians 4 9, the things which you listen to these last two verses, we'll move to point two on access. The things which you have learned, Paul writing again. Paul's quite the consummate teacher, isn't he? The things which you have learned and received and saw in me. So Paul models these things. But he's like, you've learned them and received them. These do, and the peace of God will be with you. In other words, you'll tangibly begin to feel it when you walk in obedience. But if you don't, Paul's like, he could reverse that and Reverse argument, say, don't be surprised if you never feel peace. If you're not going to do the things that you've been taught. Taught by who? Well, John tells us in 1 John that we actually don't need, at the base level, a teacher like me because you have the Holy Spirit. Now, John wasn't saying get rid of all the pastors. He was saying if you get stuck in somewhere like Patmos like me, right, you would be okay because God's Holy Spirit would actually be there to teach you. We actually know, the Scriptures say, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We know Paul said, hey, when I leave here, make sure you appoint the bishops and elders and get everyone. You know, so teachers are important, 
Preachers are important. Those that teach like the Apostle Paul did, very important to the Lord, just like they were in the Old Testament, right? The high pri- that you had the priesthood of Aaron's family. Very important to God that he always has shepherds and teachers. However, if all the shepherds and teachers were gone in a, in a moment, you still would have the Holy Spirit, and he would not teach you differently. He would teach you the same things. Now, Paul is saying, because I did come among you, and I did teach you what, it's, what it means to walk in the peace of God, you have no excuse. Now walk in it. That's what he's saying in Philippians 4.9. You'll have it. These things, if you do them, the peace of God will be with you. You'll actually sense the presence of the peace of God, but not necessarily out of the gate. It starts by believing it. Amen? Just like your salvation was believing. When you, when you came to the Lord for salvation, you didn't necessarily feel anything. You responded in obedience. I know people do feel emotions, and you know, I actually had tears running down my face, but some of that is not for, not everybody has that, and not everybody experiences the same way, but the obedience is belief, and saying, Lord, I believe what you've said, right? Many of you are probably here tonight because you believe that the Bible makes it clear that we should assemble together, that we should open God, that we should fellowship. Not that you necessarily felt like coming tonight. You may not have. It might have been a last-minute decision where the Holy Spirit says, what are you doing? Put the remote down, right? He'll do those things. He'll, he'll speak to us, say, look, do the things I've told you to do. If Jesus gives the disciples a list of things to do, says, do these things, the peace of God will rule in your hearts. If they do them, they're going to experience that at truth. If they don't do them, I can't imagine going through the trials that some people go through without knowing that God is really in control. Because that's ve- that can be very, very frustrating. Um, that, that causes people to, you know, let's say, let's say they are dealing with something, and the unsaved person, they might search the internet all night for four straight nights and not even sleep, trying to find the answer. Whereas you and I can finally lean back in the arms of the Lord and say, you know, this isn't going the way I hope it would. This isn't going the way I'd like it to go. But Lord, you really are in control. And you give your beloved sleep. Not necessarily, Paul had sleeplessness often. If he didn't sleep last night, say, well, then that didn't come true. You know, yes, those things happen too. But even then, you're able to lean back and say, but God's word's still true. He's already given me peace. I'm going to hold on to it as if it's a life jacket. Right? You may not think if they hand you a uh, plane goes down the water, this seat cushion can be used as a flotation device. That doesn't look like a good flotation device. It'll work. Put your arms through the straps, hold on tight. And a lot of times, that's the peace of God. Amen? You have it. It's, you're sitting on it in the plane. Pull it out. You know, remember that plane land on Hudson River? You know, if they did have to get out, grab the seat cushion. I know they walked across. But if that didn't happen, you better believe I'd be holding the seat cushion, wouldn't you? Because you've, you believe that it's true. You believe that it must be Coast Guard approved and it must be buoyant. And if I grab it, it'll work. And that's the peace of God. Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, in which you are called in one body, and be thankful. 
That's why we're told to be thankful even in trials. Say, well, I don't, the Lord's going to know that I'm not really meaning this. It's okay. He appreciates the obedience first. The meaning it will come the more you kind of keep praying. Say, Lord, thank you for this trial. Because I know you're producing perseverance in me. And hope. And patience. And this, you know, all these things. And they're true. And you should speak them back to the Lord. Say, Lord, this is what you're doing. According to your word, this is what you're doing. And just keep remeditating on those truths. And the peace of God will flow. It was already there. Why do we know it's there? Paul says that we have been given, in verse 5, the Holy Spirit. Now, if the Holy Spirit, and he's not the only place that says that, we know that we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. Anyone who has not the Spirit of Christ is not of Christ. Paul talks about this later in Romans. So if the Holy Spirit is in us, is the Holy Spirit ever not at peace? It's a silly question, isn't it? God's never ruffled. God's never bothered. God's never hurried. He's never anxious. All those things. So the Holy Spirit lives in us, so God would say, Yes, you do have peace. I put my spirit within you. Well, I'm not feeling it. Then you need to get in touch with the Holy Spirit. That's what he's saying. Let's move on. Access. The time that we have. Access. Through whom we also have access, verse 2, by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God of God. We have access. Isn't it nice to know that no matter where we're at, no matter the time of the day, middle of the night, different state, vacation where something goes wrong, no matter where you're at, at work, coffee break, in traffic, you have access to the Father. Access to the God of the universe. People get all, you know, uh, really excited, they get an autograph of a celebrity. I get that, but when I remember that I actually have access to the God that made said celebrity who could die tomorrow, it really puts things in perspective, doesn't it? That we really do have access to the God that can actually speak a word and heal anybody of anything. No doctor can do that, Right? Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Guys on the cross, many more come out of the graves. This is the God that we serve. So we have access, access, by faith, into this grace. Um, I love in Titus uh, where we see more of this grace that trains us. But the grace that saved us, you've heard me talk about it many times, the grace that saved us is the beginning of a life of experience in God's grace. Just like the faith that saved us is, an exp- is the beginning of walking by faith. Faith didn't end with our uh, conversion and our prayer, sincere from the heart, nor did grace end with salvation. That grace is going to be needed as long as our bodies are breathing, our hearts pumping, our brain is, we're going to need grace on a regular basis. Well, for a couple of reasons. We'll need it first and foremost because we're going to mess up, right? And we'll need to go back to the throne of grace and ask for forgiveness. We'll skin our knees. You might bloody your lip. All these things, you'll need that grace. But you also need God's grace 
you know, Paul, when he was going through something buffeting in the flesh, three times he prayed. By the way, that doesn't mean you should only pray three times. The Holy Spirit told Paul specifically not to pray anymore on that thing. God may tell you after the 3,000th prayer. Or he may tell you after one. But nevertheless, God said what? My what is sufficient for thee? My grace. Grace is sufficient. I'll get you through it by my grace. But it's through faith. Through faith. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, He who calls you is faithful and also will do it. Now you know my favorite verse. I am persuaded he's able to keep that which I've committed. He's able. Notice the word, the key word there, key two words there. He's able. I know those of you that are English majors say that's actually three, it's a hyphenated, I got it. But he's able. Didn't say I was able. Jude tells us that he's able to keep us from stumbling. He is able. He's the only one able. But he who calls you, 1 Thessalonians 5, 24, is faithful He'll do it. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, you ever been faithless? He remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. God is never not faithful. He doesn't always give us the answers we're looking for at the time we're looking for them, but that has nothing to do with him not being faithful. He's always faithful. We're just not able to sit from his vantage point and see his faithfulness. Now, we can see it in so many other ways that we have no excuse but to believe that he always is faithful. But nevertheless, he's always faithful. He'll complete it. So knowing that you and I, our access is through Christ, right? You don't get access through your good works. You don't get access through your great intentions. You don't get access through anything that of you. It's access through Christ. The access comes through him. The faithfulness comes through him, but our obedience in life, our obedience is really what validated faith is. Validated faith is obedience. So the Lord says, I want you to begin to read my word. I want you to begin to pray. I want you to share the God. And if you say, I believe all those things are important, but I'm not going to do them, then you can say that you believe those things, but they're not, they're not validated. It's, what's validated is actually what we do. What will we do? Will we take the fact that God's given us access? If he's given us access, are we going to take that access? Most people will take any access for things that are, have no eternal purpose. Oh, hey, I've got you backstage passes. Fill in the blank. I've got you access, free tickets to fill in the blank. I've got you access to, hey, here's a a grand opening movie, 10 tickets. You have access. Most people, unless it's something that's complete garbage, but if it's something that generally everyone thinks, hey, that's valuable, people will not say no to that. They'll take them, even if they don't take them, they make sure they be a good giver of gifts to somebody else, right? But if you said, well, you have access to the throne room of God, which no one in the Old Testament had access except for the high priest once a year, right? Once a year, Yom Kippur, Day of Atonement. No one had that access. We have it. And God says, I've given you access to my throne, and you're not interested. 
I'm not saying we're not interested. I'm saying we're given that access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Our faith in Christ is what he has said, not what we feel, not what we see, not what we can understand. I don't need to understand. There's a lot of things I don't understand in the scriptures or understand about the Lord. Am I alone? I don't need to understand everything. First of all, I won't. I can't. But it doesn't matter. God does give me new understanding over the years. As we walk with the Lord, we, we, we begin to understand things that perhaps we didn't understand before. But my access to Him, I may not even be able to fully understand how we have access. I just know it's through Jesus. And the Lord has opened the door. I want to walk through it. This grace that we stand in, Ephesians 1.7, in Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Paul talks about the abundance of grace in Romans 5.17, which is later in this same chapter, but then in 2 Corinthians 9.8, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Anything God calls us to do, we can stand in it, in this grace, through faith, by Jesus Christ, that God has given us enough grace. If God calls you to do it, or God calls you to you know, stay the course on something, you will be able to, not because you're such a great, boy, if I say I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it person, but by God's grace. And the more we kind of humbly recognize it shouldn't be cliche-ish. I don't try and say, I truly don't. The longer I'm saved, I try not to say cliche-ish things that I don't actually mean. If I say, God bless you, I really am meaning it. I want God to bless you. I don't want it to be trite. I also don't want to just say, I'll be praying for you. Never praying for that. I've forgotten it by the time I walked past you. If I say it, now, I'm, I mess up just like the rest of you, but generally speaking, I really do want to pray it. If I say prayerfully, or praying that you feel better, or praying that you get that job interview, or whatever it is, I want to make sure that, God, I'm not saying things I don't actually mean. That we would actually... Uh, so anything that He's given us to do, He gives us, He wants us to do it in the grace to say, Lord... You've asked me to live this way. It's in my flesh, I don't know that I can pull this off, but you've given enough grace. I know that you'll help me complete it. Right? I know that you'll help me get this done. I know that, Lord, I can stand because you've given me access. And he finishes this second verse. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. All the grace that we've been given points us back to God's glory. Because you'll never, that's why the song I already mentioned earlier is called Amazing Grace, right? Because we haven't earned it, we don't deserve it. It always points us back to His glory. Everything that we should do, God asks us to do something, God give me the grace to do it, give me the grace to mean what I say, give me the grace to keep my word, give me the grace to do these things and when we say it, just like I was saying, I don't want to say things I don't mean, I want to truly say, 
It's worth the point I was getting to. I want to say, and I hope that you do too, God, I want to do this for your glory. Because we've not always done everything for God's glory. In our lifetime, we've done a lot of things for our own glory. True? Sometimes we're in the middle of doing it for our glory, and God knocks on our heart and says, I don't think this is about me. I think this is about you. Now, it's never too late to change course at that time, is it? And a lot of times, no one else can tell that you change course. It's just between you and the Lord. It was just a heart conversation. On the outside, it may look identically the same, but it went from wood, hay, to stubble over to gold. Because immediately you actually, and all of a sudden something will change in you when you realize I'm not doing it for his glory. Or I'm not, I'm complaining as opposed to being thankful, so I'm not looking to your glory. When we remember the glory of God, it refocuses us back to that access we've been given. Jude 1.25, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, not the internet, not Google, not Bing, not Yahoo, God alone who is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. And so just to believe that and say, Lord, you give me that access through Jesus, I'm going to stand on this. Our last point that we'll look at Hope is mentioned a couple of times here. Hope of the glory of God. And then verses 3 through 5, which we'll close. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Knowing that tribulation produces. Uh, it's important to underline, you know, maybe in your Bible, knowing that tribulation. Knowing. Not thinking possibly. Not thinking, well, maybe that's true. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. The things that I know are really helpful to me. I don't know if they are to you. They're faith-building. They're faith-building. If I know that God says something, then I can walk through every other bit of worldly, quote-unquote, evidence or my own fleshly feelings. And so can you. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. A lot of times that is the one thread you'll hang on is just, well, God, you said this, so I'm going to believe it. Might be a verse he gives you to hang on to. Might be, again, uh, maybe many verses that you've seen over the years, and, and he reminds you of a truth. Knowing these things, that tri tribulation produces perseverance. Peter speaks of this. James speaks of this and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Now, hope feel a lot of people, they hope in a lot of things. The hope of God is not like, um, you know, the NCAA tournament just finished. Uh, I was hoping my team would win the title. But that is the proverbial hope and a prayer. But not in the, not in the spiritual sense, in the, in the cliche that the world, even non-spiritual people say that, right? You'll have a coworker say, that's a hope and a prayer. They haven't prayed in 10 years, but they'll say that's a hope and a prayer. They're not speaking of this hope, and they're not speaking of prayer, prayer. They're speaking of something else. 
They're speaking of a cliche that they don't even really know what they're saying. And you and I have been guilty of that. But there's that you can hope, but you really know that there's maybe even a better analogy would be something like, uh, I hope, um, I hope uh, when I go out in my car, uh, there is, uh, my car is filled with gold all the way up to the top of the roof. I know that's not happening, right? Now, that's not what I'm aiming for in life. <laughs> Maybe a bad example. But we know, we know that the things we hope for in God actually are going to happen. In other words, I hope Jesus comes back and brings us home soon. Will happen. He promised it would happen. He said, even so, I'm coming quickly. We hope for it. And we know it's going to happen. So that hope doesn't disappoint. You can hope you win the lottery. Many people do. Many people tonight went to 7-Eleven or Wawa or Sheets or something, and they put it down. They hope, oh, I hope I win it. They're gonna di- most will be disappointed tonight, right? Another disappointment. Years of disappointment. Why can't I be the lady in Connecticut? That one, you know, why can't I be the person in Nevada? But Jesus says, no, what I promise, I deliver. I may not deliver it in your timetable. I may not deliver it even in the vehicle that you expect me to deliver it in, but I will deliver it. And so, therefore, it doesn't disappoint. We're able to say, Lord, we can walk through this because you've promised that your hope will never disappoint. We have the hope of heaven. The hope of heaven is a lot different than the hope of your team winning the Super Bowl. Right? Which, if you're the fan of some teams, has never happened. But Jesus really will take us to heaven. It's not just a hope. I hope I get, I hope I get to see heaven. If you're saved, you will get to see heaven. You won't be disappointed. Matter of fact, when you get to heaven, it'll be the first time maybe you've never been disappointed. Because it will exceed our expectations, right? Most things don't exceed our expectations. Most things don't. Every now and then, some product or something exceeds our expectations. But uh, most things don't. This hope doesn't disappoint. And we know that because we have this hope of God doing... What are the other, this hope is actually part of this hope is more temporal... We know that if God says that tribulation produces character and perseverance, those are good things, aren't they? I know that when Marines go to Paris Island or the other place out in California, when they start boot camp, they may not think that what they're going through is going to be beneficial. But it will produce the perseverance they're going to need because if you think Paris Island's bad, wait till you see a battlefield, Right? You cannot train. We're in a battle, folks. Amen? We're in a battle. The enemy, Satan, is trying to take every single soul to hell. He's seeking as a roaring lion. If any of you ever try and take on a 550-pound male roaring lion, good luck. That's why Daniel was thrown into a lion's den. Because people, that's why the Romans would throw people to the lions, because you don't fare well. 
against something that fierce and strong, unless the Holy Spirit comes upon you like he did with Samson and David. And then you can face anybody, amen? Even Satan. Although we're told to resist him, not in our own power, but in the strength of the Lord, right? We, don't resist, we can't resist him in our own strength. We don't have any strength. He really is powerful. He really is tearing the world to pieces. He really is bringing persecutions and all kinds of things across the globe. And there really are tribulations to be walked through. So we have the hope of heaven, but this is also hope for right now, being that we'll be able to have perseverance to get, I'm 44, to get me to 45 to get me to 46, to get me to 47, to get me, and however old old you are and wherever God has your final stop to be, the perseverance, like Pilgrim's Progress, will be needed. You can't produce perseverance. You walk in grace through faith, and God says the the hope is there, the eternal hope of heaven's there, but also I've got a lot of little little hope marks, if you will, that you'll step on and you'll see yourself become more persevering, better character. You'll say no to things you used to not be able to say no to. You're not tempted by things you used to be tempted by. When fiery darts hit you, instead of running and saying, I'm not going to church for a month because God did this to me, you actually run to church. You don't run from the Lord, you actually start to run to the Lord. I mean, you can imagine the same Marines that uh, they've been built up to persevere and to have character. The first bullet that flies, they grab and run. And now imagine if the entire squad does that. Jesus, we're all on the same team here, folks. He doesn't want anyone turning and running. He wants that perseverance to have you say, I can look this in the eye Because God is by my side, has my back, in my heart. I can stand, not fall. It says stand in this text, doesn't it? Stand and resist and push forward and have this perseverance. And when we do, not only will it not disappoint eternity, but we actually will see battles won. And see, a lot of people, they give up because they've never won even the first battle in their Christian walk. But once you start winning battles, remember why David was not afraid of Goliath? Partially, he was not afraid because he had faced a lion and a bear. They have, you know, they, a lion and a bear are far stronger than a human being. Probably both were even stronger than Goliath. Right? I mean, Goliath had weaponry, but a lion and a bear is not likely to be afraid of Goliath either. They have their own power, strength, teeth, canines. And so David had been victorious and he had seen that perseverance had given him character. Remember, one of the characters that we develop is we no longer have the fear of man, we develop the fear of God. That's part of the character that we develop. That's part of the perseverance. So when people try and scare us, we can actually perfect love cast out fear. Hebrews 13, 14, and 15 says, For we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. It tells us that we rejoice 
in the hope of the glory of God, we, we have to develop a life of rejoicing. We have to worship the Lord. It says we glory in tribulation. Now, this word glory means to boast. Now, we know that the Scriptures are clear. Paul writes this, that he did not boast in his flesh, but he boasted of Christ. What it's saying there is when you boast of Christ, you really say, some of you might see the little bumper sticker on the car, not I, but Christ. That's what you're saying. Say, Lord, your faith, your, your faith that you've given me, your grace, your atoning blood, your glory, all this, I'll keep staying the course. I'll keep holding on for dear life. I will believe that you've placed peace within me. I will continue to appropriate the access that you've paved by your blood. I'll do these things because of your great name and your great work and your great salvation. What you're doing there is you're worshiping. You're worshiping. People boast of their teams because they, at that moment, are worshiping them. Let me say, you've been guilty. Yes, I've been guilty of that. Yes, I get, yes, I agree. But let's boast in the Lord, which is a form of worshiping Him. Glory in the tribulation. Lord, I don't know what you're doing here, but I know that you'll produce hope and patience and perseverance, and I believe by faith that this is all for my good. And coming to a close here, God has poured the love of God into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The Holy Spirit will keep reminding us of these things. You may forget what I've said, but when you need it, God will re-remind you, especially so if you'll stay in His Word and stay in prayer and continue to talk with Him and commune with Him day by day, tell other people about Him, be a light and witness. But even if you don't do that, if you're genuinely saved, God's going to remind you of this teaching or some other and say, hey, I've given you peace. It's in your wallet. Open it up. Come to my throne. Seek the peace from me. And when we begin to do these things, Paul's like, you have them. You have peace with God. You can glory in tribulation. Paul's like, it's not just for big saints like Paul. Well, of course, Paul and Peter live that way. We're not, we're not in that camp. No, God says this is for the mature that everyone would mature. Hopefully this is, uh, this is the flourishing faith that God wants us to have, and, and we're going to need it more and more as his return is approaching. Amen? Because the tribulations and persecutions around the world are only getting more intense, and frankly, the heat's being turned up even in our own nation, isn't it? Let's close in prayer.